0: Welcome to the Redeemer podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoy the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Amen. Good morning. It's good to see you, especially on a morning like this with lots of rain and lots of wind. You know, sometimes you have to say stuff, and I would probably say something like this a couple years ago that if you won't come to church when it's raining, you definitely won't go to church when persecution comes. Like, if that's how serious you are about Christianity. So I I knew there would be so many here, and especially in the first service, really encouraged. And this is just how God works, you know? It's just so neat. About 7.30, you know, I'm getting ready to come to the first service, and I start a text message to a guy at the church, to Gabe, uh, Gabriel Villarreal. he serves a lot here. And I started a text message saying, Hey, man, what would you think about getting some umbrellas and trying to help people you know, get in in the service. And then I thought, well, it's been raining for like a week now it seems. I'm sure people are gonna bring umbrellas, they're aware, whatever. So I deleted the text message. And then I get here and he's already out with two umbrellas walking around before the first service starts bringing people in I was like, oh, man, I'm going to help you. So I put my stuff down, and I go and help them. We're bringing folks in, and then Jackie Godbold pulls up, and she's got her you know, little girl in the car seat, which is super heavy. And then Harrison, however old he is, just this little guy, and she's like trying to do all I'm like, I'll help you. I'll help you. So I'm holding Harrison's hand, and I'm taking him to class. And I get in there into Building B, and Natalie, she had just dropped off our kids, and she said, hey, I think they're full. Like They can't take any more kids in their age group because there's not enough workers. We just, we just don't have enough. I was like, oh, bummer. I was like, well, if they're out, well, then we'll take our kid out because he's just a little baby. He'll sit in here quietly. He'll be fine. And she can take both of her kids in. Well, they had another worker show up, and they were able to make it all work. And I thought, my goodness, in the first service when it's raining, we had to like almost tell somebody, we can't take your kids because we don't have workers. And so around your seat, there is a little card <laughs> for Redeemer kids. We really do need help. We need more people to serve um, and to serve the families of our church and to serve these kids and to help the next generation of people learn about Jesus Christ. And so this is just asking if you would be willing to serve once a month, just one hour, once a month to serve the kids of this church, to serve the families. And I think all of you can do this unless you have a felony, unless you have some kind of contagious disease. Uh, unless you have Ebola or leprosy or something like that, I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm asking you to go to a doctor, number one. <laughs> if you can't do this for one, once a semester, once a day a month, uh, let me know your compelling reason for why you cannot do that and for why you can't invest in the next uh, generation of kids. We're not asking for much, just once a month. And just evidence today how we really do need your help. On a day that it's raining a lot, New families, and I wouldn't be shocked if maybe some kids had to be told, uh, we're not sure if we have enough room even today uh, to take your kids. Because we cared that much about making sure the kids are well taken care of, that we follow every safety procedure that will allow for a safe environment for kids to hear the gospel. And that's what we're committed to. And so with that, let's talk about the book of Philemon. So please go to the book of Philemon. It's, if you don't know where it is, that's okay. It's a really tiny one in the Bible. It's in the New Testament. You have First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and then Hebrews, James, so in that area. And what this little book is showing us, this book is what grace, not just the doctrine, not just the abstract idea of grace, but what grace in practice can do to a church. What grace looks like when it infects a church and it spreads through a church and the message that grace can send to the world. And since these words come to us today in the very authority of King Jesus, let's stand together in the honor of the reading of his word, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read the whole book today. You can say, man, we read a whole book of the Bible at church today. It was amazing. Verse 1, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more, more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ." Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Holy Father, now, would you, by the Spirit of the risen Christ, help us to taste and see your grace today, that the grace that you have given us personally would spread among us. So, Lord Jesus, would you do a work here now that our hearts would be refreshed in you and by you and through you and for you. Help us now, Lord. And do only what you can do as we look at your word. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Guys, this, this little book, I mean, is a little book. It is a glacier of gospel proportions. This book is showing the power of the gospel and the life of a local church. And what happens when the gospel becomes at work in believers? When the gospel becomes more than just a doctrine to be believed, but a way to live, a way to operate, a way to function among one another. The grace of God creates more than people with good theology. The grace of God, the gospel of grace, creates a people with a rich sociology. With how we interact with one another, how we treat one another, Christianity is about more than creating people with good manners. It's about a resurrected people with radical, surprising, and scandalous grace. As we talked about last week, I mean, this book is about a runaway slave, a runaway bondservant of Philemon named Onesimus. A fugitive servant runs away, meets Paul somehow while he's in prison, and becomes a Christian. And now Paul is sending him back to Philemon, a member of the Colossian church, telling him how this man that has wronged you, who stole from you, has run away, has committed crimes, receive him. Not just as a bondservant, but as more than a bondservant, but now as a brother in Christ. And Paul appeals to Philemon from love. I mean, you see this, look at verse 8. I'm going to see how the grace of God changes a man. Look at verse 8. Accordingly, Paul says, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Paul says, I'm an apostle. I have full rank and full authority. I can pull the apostleship card on you and tell you exactly what to do. Verse 9. Yet. Now that matters. Yet for love's sake, I prefer To appeal to you. The gospel of grace liberates us from having to pull rank and authority. A gospel man, a gracious man, doesn't bark from titles or authority, but appeals from love. And he's appealing for Onesimus. Welcome him back. Let him back without any penalty, with no cynicism, no conditions, no terms, no clauses. Welcome him back as a brother in Christ. And look at verse 17 and 18. Paul goes even further. If you consider me your partner, Philemon, if we're in the, and we're in ministry together, of course he would say, absolutely. 17, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul says, forget about what he's done. It's all been charged to my account now. Receive him as you would receive me. And here we see a clear picture of how the gospel of grace really works. Grace isn't just forgetting about it. Grace doesn't mean, ah, just act like it never happened. Just be nice. That is not grace. Does Paul take that approach with Philemon? Philemon, just forget about it. Just forget about what Onesimus did. Act like it didn't happen. That's in the past. Let's move on. No way. What does he say? He says, take what he did, the wrongs and sins he committed against you, and charge that to my account. Put it on me now. This is how the gospel works. Our sins weren't just swept away into some cosmic trash bin or just erased out of God's book. No, they have to be dealt with. They have to be paid for. They have to be reckoned, not just whatevered. The gospel works really is the only solution between us and God. Our sins, our wrongs against God, put on Jesus' account, paid for them with His perfect life and His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead, forgiving us totally, completely, and forever. And now this is why we're seeing a mirror of the gospel in these words, where now Jesus is speaking to the Father and says, receive these people, Lord, as you would receive me. Whatever wrongs they have committed, put them on my account. This is the gospel. And Jesus' resurrection from the dead reveals to us there is no resentment or grudge between us and God. Totally forgiven. Totally freed. Totally accepted. Some of us think that. Yeah, he forgives us, but God's not really happy with us right now. He forgives us, but he's just kind of putting up with us until he can really make us better in the end. The resurrection reveals there's no resentment between us and God. And why does this matter? Why is this book here? I think those are the same questions. Why do these concepts matter? Why is this book here? This matters because the gospel, the atoning grace of God, Jesus dying in our place, this is the blueprint for Christian community. This isn't just the way we are saved. This is the way we live out our salvation. The gospel becomes the schematic for how we interact with one another. The gospel is the only solution between us and God, and the gospel is the only lasting solution between us, between one another. Ephesians 4, Paul says, forgive one another. We hear that and go, okay. But he continues, as God and Christ forgave you. The gospel is the blueprint. Ephesians 5, love one another as I have loved you the gospel's the blueprint. This is Christianity. The gospel's not just the ABCs. It is the A to Z. It is everything that happens and how we live and how we function. And Philemon now is going to live this out. He's going to see the crimes that Onesimus has done and see them settled to another account. And so when we live with one another and we look at one another, we just don't see a Christian. We see a man, a woman whose sins and wrongs have been settled to another account. And this is what makes Christian community so different from the world. Because we sin against one another. We hurt each other. We don't mean to. It just happens. Because we're broken people. And this is why the world says all those Christians, they're a bunch of hypocrites. They say that because we don't own up to it. We should say, yes, I am a hypocrite. I often know the right thing to do, the right thing to say, and I don't do it. Because I'm still living in the tension of a saint, yet I'm still a sinner. I still have the old man. I'm still, I know all the right stuff, but I don't always do it. This is every single one of us. So when we hurt each other, we disappoint each other. We don't mean to. At least not all the time we don't mean to. And it's not in us just sweep it under the rug and just move on. Humanly speaking, you can only do that so long until there's a big lump in the relational lug and everyone's tripping over it. But with Christianity, there is no sweeping. There is a substitute. Jesus paid for it all already. So when a sin is committed against you, a wrong's been done against you, and that person comes asking for forgiveness, and I'm sorry, and they're they're repenting, you can look at them and say, I forgive you. Because it's already been charged to another account. I can forgive you. It's over. Or when someone reveals something from their past. Someone reveals something that is shocking that you didn't know about. They're opening up and something's confessed. You can look at them and say, I love you the same. Because it's already been charged to another account. I welcome you the same. Because it's already been charged to another account. I don't think any less of you because Jesus doesn't. It's already been charged to another account. This is the gospel at work. And this is why Paul is saying this. Because reconciliation from above results in reconciliation below. Grace from above brings grace below. And Philemon, I think, is a man that doesn't... Paul doesn't have to squeeze this out of Philemon. Some of us, we have to be kind of reminded again and again and again. We go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. I need need to be gracious. This just flows out of Philemon. I believe that because of verse 21. Look at verse 21. After Paul makes this plea with him to receive Philemon as as no longer a bondservant, but as a brother, 21, confident of your obedience. Paul says, I know you're going to do this. I totally know it. But I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. So he says, I know you're going to do it, and I know you're going to do even more than I could have imagined because you are just that kind of guy. So I read, you should read verse 21 and go, then why write this? He knows Philemon's going to do it, so why write this book? I think we find the answer to that in who this book is written to. It's written to Philemon, but who else is listening? Archippus, Atphia, and the whole church in your house. Paul wants the entire Christian community to watch God's grace pyrotechnically go to work between Philemon and Onesimus. He wants everyone in the church to see the stunning nature of the gospel, and he wants everyone else in the church to treat Onesimus just the way he does and just the way Philemon will. Because you can imagine how the rest of the church would go, they're welcoming him back? This is weird. And how subtly, yeah, they would, oh, Onesimus, it's so good to see you. Then they'd go home and go, can you believe what he did? They welcomed him back. I don't think that's wise. You you could hear how the legalistic murmurs would begin to spread throughout the church, and Paul wants to cut that serpent's head off right at the start. This book is a nuclear warhead against legalism. Legalism is wanting to increase our own morality and feel better by our own power. That's one form. Another form of legalism is, I want to make you moral by my own power and by my rules. And Paul says, there is a new era for how we operate, and it's the gospel of grace. And what's going to happen in this church is something unheard of, a complete reconciliation, restoration, and unity between a runaway servant and his master. When Philemon loves Onesimus back, it will send shockwaves throughout the community. The word will travel, not just in the church, but throughout the world. They will say things like, did you hear what happened at that place? They didn't kill the runaway servant. They didn't crucify him. They, they didn't beat him. They, they welcomed him. They didn't throw him out on the streets like you did, Bill. They, they threw a party for him. They, they even released him from being a bondservant for the rest of his life. Now they call him a brother, and they treat him like everybody else. You see how the gospel's effects would spread throughout this community. And not only that, because listen, grace is radical and surprising and when they do this, they're going to give credibility to the gospel that you really can be forgiven, that you really can be welcomed, you really can be accepted, you really can be loved, you really can have your entire past covered, paid for, and have a new identity in Christianity. But to do this, it's going to be incredibly costly to Philemon. To give the gospel credibility in your life will also be incredibly costly. Matt, what are they going to say about Philemon? Man, he really wussed out. That's what the world's going to say. Philemon, he used to have a mean streak. He was a really sharp business guy, but he became a real weenie. Now, at their next colosse businessmen's luncheon, they're going to be talking about Philemon. I heard he let his servant go. I don't know if I can do business with a guy like that. He, he used to get stuff done, but now he just seems like a big softy. To give the gospel credibility in your life, it will be costly. And here's what we should be getting once you've experienced, once you've tasted and seen the surprising grace of God for you, it reorients how you view and treat and love others. Once you have tasted and seen the surprising grace of God, it changes you and makes you a surprising and gracious person. It makes you a refreshing person to be around. This is what we see in Philemon. He's a fresh maker. Look at verse 7. For I, Paul says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. Why? Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Philemon's a fresh maker. The hearts of the saints, the Christians at Colossae, they are refreshed by Philemon. What what does a refreshing Christian look like? What does that mean? One guy says, to refresh the heart is an expression used by Paul to mean to give someone relief from distress or to aid the wretched in such a manner that their minds are composed They're freed from all uneasiness and grief, and they find rest. This is the kind of man Philemon was. Another way to say it would be Philemon would help you get your head back on straight, he would help you think things through. This is the guy that people wanted to be around. Because when you were around him, you walked away encouraged. Not only did you walk away encouraged from Philemon, but you felt reawakened to the glory of Christ. You were reminded of the forgiveness we have in King Jesus. When when you are tempted and you're weighed down, you could go to Philemon and he was a refreshing brother to be around. When you were anxious or you're worried or you're nervous about XYZ issue, Philemon would refresh your heart. He would really put you at ease. You could be honest with him. You knew you could be honest with him. You could open up, and he wasn't judgmental. He wasn't cynical. He wasn't fake. He wasn't indifferent. He was the kind of guy who would genuinely bear your burden with you. If he said he was going to pray for you, he actually prayed for you, and he would remember you. He would see you and ask, how is that going? How are you doing? You would get the sense that he really loved you. He was probably a lot like Jesus. I think Philemon smelled like Jesus, and he just couldn't help it. And I believe that because the word refreshed, it's the same word group used in Matthew 11 when Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Same words. Jesus saying, quit trying it all on your own. Come to me and find rest for your hearts. You'll find comfort and rest and security and hope with me. So what is these words connections from Jesus saying he'll give us rest and Philemon being a man that refreshes us? What is the connection here? It's got to be something. I think it's that in Jesus we find the salvation and rest for our hearts. With other Christians like Philemon, we find a reminding of that salvation that we have with Jesus. It becomes vibrant. It becomes the atmosphere. It becomes a part of his nature and that Philemon refreshes us by reminding us that we have rest with Jesus. Philemon's the kind of man who would do this. He would remind you, no, your identity is not in your job. Your identity is in Jesus. Ah, oh, I'm refreshed. Yes, you committed a sin, and it's horrible, but you have been forgiven, and now there is no condemnation with you because you are in Christ Jesus. Yes, I'm refreshed. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. You don't have to worry about your eternity. It's been handled by Jesus. You're right, I'm refreshed. What can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Nothing. For you are now more than a conqueror through him who loved you. You're right, I'm refreshed. This is the grace of God at work. And Paul's asking him, you've refreshed the saints of Colossae. You can see verse 7, past tense. You have, they have been refreshed. Now verse 20, what does Paul say? Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord, in the Lord. This is real Christian fellowship, not just talking about football, talking about hobbies and skills, all that kind of fun stuff. That's all fun. But it's in the Lord. The things with him refresh my heart in Christ. He's saying now, I want it now, finally, I need it from you. Will you do this toward me? And today, I think the Lord is calling us, our church, into a new era, a new season, a new awareness of grace, of being fresh makers towards one another. Can we be a church of people that refresh one another in Christ? Freshing, refreshing, encouraging, exhorting, vibrant givers of God's grace towards one another. And maybe the lyrics of this song will move you like they've moved me. It doesn't matter what comes, fresh goes better in life, with Mentos fresh and full of life. Nothing gets to you staying fresh, staying cool, with Mentos fresh and full of life. Fresh goes better, Mentos freshness. Fresh goes better with Mentos fresh and full of life. Mentos, the fresh maker. Now, the commercials are hilariously awesome. There's a guy who sits on a freshly painted white park bench. He sits down. He's like, oh, my black suit has white paint stripes all over it now. And the painter's like, oh, no. And so he goes, ah. And he goes, oh. He takes out his Mentos and he pops it. And then he rolls down across the bench so he can have a pinstripe suit now. He's like, all right, that worked. I mean, all kinds of dumb, silly stuff. But the grace of God brings a refreshing element. This is why Paul uses this language. One of the lyrics, actually, like, I just kept thinking about it. I mean, I don't know what it is just about sermon prep and preachers. You just get weird stuff sticks in your brain. As soon as I read this passage, I thought, Mentos. (laughs) Nothing gets to you. So if we're a refreshing kind of person, that means we step in the way and say, I'm not going to let that get to you. I'm not going to let that steal your joy. I don't want that to bother you. I'm going to be a person that reminds you and refreshes you so that does not get to you. The grace of God goes beyond superficialities. It meets us in our deepest hour, darkest moments. When we're confused, is this all real? Does Christianity matter? Our uncertainties Our doubts. And even just when we feel overwhelmed, it's in those moments of of deep despair, of darkest hours, of these questions and uncertainties and doubts. It's in those moments we all, every single one of us, we go to one or two places. We either go to functional saviors. What will bring me relief from this moment? It'll either be food, alcohol, entertainment. Netflix, alone time. A lot of people do. I I just need to be alone for a second. That might be the worst thing you need. Busyness, just maybe I'm busy, just trying to, you know, distract your mind. Cleaning. I mean anything to numb or mask or to escape what is really happening. We will either turn to functional saviors or we will turn to the savior. We will turn to Jesus help me, Lord. And Christian community is about helping each other look to Jesus and experience His grace together. This is what a fresh maker is. No, no, no. Don't don't go there. Don't look at that. Let's go to Jesus. Let's look at Jesus. So I'm looking at Redeemer Church, and I'm thinking, I'm appealing to you in love. Verse 20, yes, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Will you refresh my heart in Christ? I need this too. Every single Christian here needs this. We should look at one another, other Christians in our lives, in our groups, uh, accountability times, brothers and sisters we've known for decades and have this sense of awareness and saying, I want and need refreshing in Christ from you towards me. And if they can't offer us that, I, I, I don't know what our relationship's based on. Because I, just, I, we, I need more than Christian, Christian-fied pleasantries. I need reality. I need God's grace reminded towards me. Well, you remind me of Him. That's that's the church, everybody. Just pointing each other to Jesus. Not just coming for a, a neat experience on Sunday mornings, but pointing each other to Jesus often. This is what a gospel culture will look like. And it's not just needy people, like, okay, fine, we'll do that for the needy people, looking, you know, we'll refresh them. No, it's every single one of us acknowledging, I am a needy person, and I need to be refreshed by Jesus. And some of you I know are already thinking, oh, I can't do that. I don't know enough verses. I just don't know enough. I'm awkward, and I just can't do that. You can. Do you know Jesus? Can you remind me of Jesus. You can pray with me. You can pray for me. These are the most powerful things we can do for one another. The gospel of grace frees us from having to be the people who know all the answers because we know the one who has all the answers. You don't need a seminary degree to refresh someone in Christ. What does Philemon show us about being a freshmaker? What are his qualities? Look at verse 4. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. I mean, this is Paul is talking about, speaking so glowingly of Philemon. Why is he so thankful when he thinks of Philemon? Verse 5, because I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. So he has obvious love for Jesus and for others. Philemon is powerfully living basic Christianity. Love for God, love for others. This is really it. This really is the sum of what we do and of how we live in Christ. Love for God, love for others. And Paul's heard of it. Verse 5 I I hear of your love. So that tells me Philemon's love was obvious. So much that other people are talking about it. And they're amazed by it. And it's coming to Paul's ears all the way in prison. So this tells me it's not subtle, it's not moderate. There is far too much moderate love in local churches. Philemon's love for Jesus and the saints was something that to actually write home about. It was actually worth writing about back home to Philemon. And usually those of us all here we usually have one or the other. Love for God or love for others. But both if we're only having one both are misfires. There are some Christians who we really do care about Jesus honor Him. We're faithful to Him. We care about His namesake and His glory. We love to read the Bible. We love to pray to Him. But our love for other Christians, eh, that's barely there, if not at all. And then there are some Christians who love fellowship, love to be together, love to be around one another, love to encourage and serve together. They're always there. You can always depend on that person. But their love for God is just, eh, it's not really there. So let's think about why we're here today. We've all come here for varying reasons. Are you here mostly because you love God? You've been saved, and you know I'm supposed to go to church, so I'll go. But you didn't come here today looking forward to having fellowship and community and love with other Christians, so your love towards them is just kind of absent. You were looking to come here, sing, hear some teaching, and then roll out. Or... Are you here? Because you do love to be around other Christians. You do love being around people, but you really come more for a social reason than a Savior reason. This is just kind of a place to go to meet people. Which one's more obvious about you? And maybe you're here today just because you don't even know why you're here. And maybe you need to meet Jesus. Maybe you need to be saved by Jesus for the first time. We need, as Christians, we need both in harmony. This is biblical Christianity. And notice how Paul frames it. What does he say about his love? Verse 7. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. But then now look how he speaks about the saints in verse 5. Your love for all the saints. All of them. No discrimination. No distinction. This was huge in the early church. They were always divided between Jews and Gentiles. Paul says, no, no, you love all of them. You don't care they're Jew. You don't care if they're Gentile. You don't care if they're Roman. You don't care if they're Greek. You don't care if they're from Ephesus, Colossae. You love them all. And I think this is a global love we should have. I mean, just this past week, I was able by God's grace to meet with an Acts 29 church planter who's planting in northern Italy. Been there for three years, has a team of about 12 people. That's like a mega church almost in Italy. Former Pentecostals, former brethren, former Roman Catholic, all together now planting a church in Italy. And I got to meet with him and pray together and just, I just felt love for him and for his church because we're brothers in Christ. And then the next day I got to Skype with a, another church planner in Nigeria and to pray together and to encourage each other and learn what God's doing in their church. I mean, I love these brothers and their churches. I feel invested with what they're doing. Why? Because we're family in Christ. We should have love for all the saints. Philemon did, not just ones like him, not the ones with the same backgrounds, not the ones in the same life stage. I think this is a big problem for Bible Belt church-going people. We only like to be around people who are just like us, and that is a way to give no credibility to the gospel. Uh, we're just in different stages. They have kids, we don't. We're older, they're younger. Uh, we you know, we kind of live in different neighborhoods, different areas. Listen, none of those things are what root us for fellowship. It's the cross of Christ. When you forget, you, when you say things like that, you forget that we are all in the same place that we're united in Christ Jesus, crucified with Him, raised with Him, and seated with Him together in the heavenly places. When we say things like that, that kind of thinking, we're revealing a practical love for some of the saints, some of the saints just like us. But if our gospel doesn't push our categories of love and fellowship to beyond life stage, to beyond skin color, to beyond socioeconomic factors, to, to beyond neighborhoods, to, to beyond marriage, single, whatever, if our gospel doesn't push out these categories, our gospel is worth nothing. And if we only want to love some of the saints like us, it's, we want a church that's in our own image, not the actual bride and body of Christ. We can be the people that love the unlikely because we have become the unlikely recipients of God's grace. We can love people who are not like us because we have been loved by someone when we didn't deserve it, when it didn't make sense to us. And this, all the saints, is going to be huge to Philemon. Because Paul's saying, I want you to love all the saints. And Onesimus is a new saint. So yeah, even the runaway slave, welcome him back. Even the servant that did you wrong, welcome him back. We could do it now. Go deep into our hearts now. And thank who am I finding hard to love? Who could it be today that you're refusing to love? Maybe because they've hurt you, they've sinned against you, they've asked for your forgiveness, and you're still holding back. Does the grace that you've experienced mean nothing to you practically? Who are you finding hard to love? Because they're annoying, there's different They get under your skin. You you just don't click. We struggle with this, and a lot of us do. We all do. We struggle with this because we don't understand the love of Christ. Because we still think on some level, well, of course Jesus would love me. I mean, I'm cool. But I can't love that person. That person's kind of weird and off, and they like weird movies. And I, I just don't know. I mean, we don't like the same food. We don't like the same things. We betray the gospel when we talk like that. That's all anti-gospel. Of course Jesus would love me. I'm awesome. makes sense. But listen, Jesus didn't love us because we were impressive and we sold him on us. He died in our place, paying for our sins while we were yet sinners. He loved us at our lowest. Therefore, we can love each other at our lowest. This is not a merit-based community. This is not a, "Eh, prove to me I can trust you and then I'll love you. It's an unconditional, not based on worthiness, but based on the mega grace of Christ. And I love verse 6. Look at what, when Philemon does this, look what's going to happen, verse 6. And I pray that the sharing of your faith, this is not evangelism. This is not the word for evangelism. This is the word sharing for fellowship, for community. So I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for Christ. So Paul says, I pray that when you do this, that something is going to happen, it is going to explode, and everyone is going to take notice of your faith and how you love and how you care, that everyone will see it. You could say it this way. Philemon, you're going to make the real gospel recognizable in Colossae and beyond. When you welcome him back, when you love the sharing of this faith, will show the full knowledge of every good thing that's in us. What's the good thing that's in us? Christ. Christ is the only good thing in us. And you'll show it for Christ's sake. We can make the real gospel recognizable here. By the way, we love each other. Not just in doctrine, but in fellowship, in love, in kindness, giving credibility to the risen Christ that a risen Galilean really does matter to my life now. This is really, I think, the the question the world's begging. You talk about this Jesus guy, but he doesn't seem to matter to your life at all. You're pretty much just like me, except you go somewhere on Sunday morning for an hour and a half. What's the difference? The way we love one another shows the world that we are His disciples, John 13, 34. This gives credibility that the risen Jesus really does matter to our lives. Guys, our church is bigger than our church. Every church is bigger than just its place. Its influence can be enormous. We can make the real gospel recognizable in Tomball and beyond. The gospel of grace expressed in how we love and refreshing each other's hearts. Because we remember we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer us who live. But the lives we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. That's how we live. And when we do that, verse 6 is saying, Ball needs to know the gospel isn't just a cute way to live. That it's not just, oh, it works for you guys. That's great. They need to know that it is a surprising, radical, and welcoming grace of salvation in Christ with God, eternal life, forevermore. That Tombaugh needs to learn from us by the way that we live and the way we speak, the way we love, that Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can get to the Father but by him. That we're all testifying. We're not better than anybody. We're just the people who are clinging to Jesus. And Tom Ball needs to learn from us that you really can be forgiven by God because we forgive one another. That you really can be loved by God, who you are right now, because we have loved one another. Because we only do what we see our Father do. We love like He's loved us. We forgive like He's forgiven us. When the gospel becomes our blueprint, we give it credibility in the culture. So may our love for Him and our love for each other become recognizable in Tomball and beyond. And may we become a refreshing people. Let's pray.